We are from Rux Media Collective. I'm Monica and I'm here with my colleague Jibesh. And we have been working together since we were film students. And so that goes a really long time. Our practice is thinking on and engaging with questions of time, of how one inhabits a place together and how does one become aware of the world you make every day when you make it, because you are always making the world. I'm Jibesh, the second member, the third member is in Delhi now. So we are Delhi-based for a long time. Uh, and one of the things that we have tried to do is think the world from the location of Delhi, but more and more trying to understand the way it refracts the various trajectories and intersections the world produces. So I would say it's like the hydra-headed practice that works in all forms. So it really is driven by what we feel together is pulling us onward. We came here for the first time when we were invited by Invisible Dust. And there is something to be said for new eyes in that sense, because one knows kind of the, the material and the circulatory history of how it connected to the rest of the world, and how that rest of the world changed this part of the world, which is, of course, its history. But walking here and seeing the site and seeing how it's being transformed, the new buildings, that was all new for me. Docklands, or London Dockyard, Liverpool, these are something that if you are growing up in uh, places where the empire was, something that you grew up with. And we also know that in the 90s, we studied Liverpool a bit, that all these places, they became the industrial past of the world, but left behind a kind of a non-thinking hole to the world. We kind of understand that it shifted a form of life, it shifted a way of thinking and doing things and it completely reorganized the global supply chain. What has been really interesting about the process has been the engagement with more than one kind of voice for trying to understand and grasp the past, of course, but also the future of what this place is. Things that interest from like how wind moves to how waves move to how ships move, how they've disappeared from my imagination, but actually are so much more crowding of the seas than they used to be. Some of these things one might know, one might read about. But I think speaking with people who have an active, ongoing interest and research in that, of course, gives you deeper insight. It is incredible in the UK how we do have these rather large blind spots on areas of history. This was put to me when I was in primary school when I learned about the British Empire as if it were a massive shopping trip, going from country to country, sailing around, collecting various items, and without the extra detail of colonising and conquest. My name is Lila Sumpton. I'm a freelance poet. Poetry versus Colonialism is an educational and creative organisation to explore colonial history. I once was a rigger and I worked like hell. Rolling up, rolling down. Now I'm working for the OCL and go rolling down the river. Rolling up, rolling down. UK was a very significant place for building ships and also obviously enabling international trade through its large ports and infrastructures and docks and it still is but those ports have moved outside of the centres of cities so that kind of network has evolved it's grown in scale because the volumes of goods we move are much greater it's much more interconnected intermodally so we move goods on ships in boxes that are then almost instantaneously 
moved onto trucks and trains, and that's created huge efficiencies and economies of scale, but also means that the vessels get a lot larger than they used to be and therefore unable to navigate up to places like this further up rivers. I'm Tristan Smith. I'm a researcher at University College London and a director of something called UMass, which is a collective to look at decarbonising global shipping. I now focus on the, the ways in which we can change a sector which is highly dependent on fossil fuels today to having zero emissions over the next couple of decades. But we also look at the policy and how this affects various different countries around the world that are all part of the shipping system and have been disrupted by the way it's evolved historically, but could become increasingly disrupted both through the impacts of climate change but also how policy to kind of mitigate climate change will, will affect their trade in the future. My name is Maddie Phillips. Being involved with maritime heritage particularly, it's quite an interesting place to be because I work on the Cutty Sark in Greenwich and working with vessels like that and working with that kind of history, like you're very aware that our reliance on oil and our reliance on engines is very recent. And before that, everything that was transported around the world went by boat, everything. And so all of that would have been done with sail power or by rowing. So kind of watching people tear their hair out, saying like, but, but how could it possibly work? How could you transport it? And I was like, well, well, that's what people did for millennia. Talking to many of the researchers, we understood something very fundamental, that the ocean actually is very turbulent. It rises very high and there's a lot of containers that sink and there is a story there. And that story is long, you know, like long in the mythic way it was there always, but their stories for the last 200 years has been very important. We have used in our work for the longest time the question of submersion as a kind of metaphor. When you're underwater, then there is neither distance nor horizon all the parameters change. And the fact that when you change your state of body, you change your state of mind, and you have to look at all your assumptions again. The sea has been flattened out. It has become a landscape that we might know about, but we don't live with, at least in cities. People might live by an old port, but they don't have a relationship in that sense. So how one looks at water, both you know, in your imagination and in your everyday life, and then, of course, the work that we want to present is about the fact that things are never what they seem. That would, of course, hold for everything, but especially for the waterfront here. Probably most of the things in this room arrived here on a ship. It's just that we haven't acknowledged that or we don't recognise it in the way that we might have once done because it's out of sight and it's automated and it's this sea blindness concept which we use quite a lot in our work because the political saliency of shipping and the low profile it has because we don't acknowledge it, really is detrimental to efforts to decarbonize the sector. How does one process disembodiment in our contemporary life? And so this blindness that occurs, kotoma, towards certain realities, and so sea blindness clearly is one of the big ones. I really don't think even I, in spite of having thought that I engaged with it, had a true understanding until I saw how truly vast these ships are. So to understand a small space, you bring in so many other variables to make sense of what is the past and what is the future from it emerging. So in that sense, it can be seen as a conceptual laboratory to rethink not only the word local, but rethink what is this local here. We come from the north of India where, you know, the empire has always been land driven, right? So the Mughals came from the north. 
my great-grandfather used to run a camel caravan. That is the kind of history that you sort of understand. Ships, in a way, were where the outsiders came from. This is obviously not the case if you were to live in South India by the water. But I'm just saying, if you're living in North India where you're by the sea, the ships are the place where the British come, the Portuguese come, the French come. They come from there. Narratively speaking, you hear the ship and empire are very closely connected. The understanding of the world being one and the fact that we live in this world where everything is connected is all because of the ship. But also it's deeply connected to empire. We only succeed in addressing the threat of climate change when we induce a lot more equality into the way that we think about the world and recognize the vulnerabilities of different communities. And there are 50 odd countries that have dire existential threats facing them as we exceed 1.5 degrees, which will probably happen in the next 15 years. So the recognition of that by communities, including in the UK, but also understanding that there are communities within the UK that are vulnerable in the maritime facing areas, such as the Docklands, which will be destroyed by sea level rise and recognising the vulnerabilities that we all have to the ocean. And some of that recognition of vulnerability and equality needs to start with the discussion about empire. So there's a reason why we have the economic wealth to manage adaptation and resilience. And there's a reason why the other side of the world doesn't have that. And that was because of exploitation. So we can either continue to assume that or we can recognise this as an opportunity for rebalancing. I think it's just important to look at the ingredients of extractive and exploitative practice, be that in terms of colonial history or in how present day industries and businesses work. Once you get a sense for what it is that makes a practice exploitative or extractive, then your eyes are open to parallels within history and to what needs to be done to try and turn the tide. How do we bring this, this injunction alive in a way that allows people to have a degree of meditative encounter with something that is so distant, the ocean rising in, in both in time and in spatially in the imagination, and also something that is very proximate because your world has to change because of that. So we're not existentially threatened as a country, but we are severely threatened as a set of local communities with relatively low heights above the sea. And there are adaptation projects that you can put in, in Thames barriers, a historical example of that, which is right on the doorstep here. But those barriers are only effective against a certain height and then building much higher structures just ceases to make sense and you need to move populations and infrastructure to higher ground. And we have that luxury. Many countries don't. That's what our hope is for the work, is to be able to bridge that connection between water and land, but also about the knowing of the sea and then what one can feel from that knowing of the sea. This audio postcard was produced by Lucia Scadzocchio from Social Broadcasts as part of Sea Change, commissioned by the Royal Docks team in collaboration with University College London and curated by Invisible Dust. Featuring the voices of Monica Narula, Jibesh Bagshi, Dr. Tristan Smith, Lila Sumpton and Maddie Phillips. Rolling Down the River is sung by the London Sea Shanty Collective. <laughs>